Is he your peace this morning? He cares for you. He knows your name. He loves you. Do you cast your cares upon him? He cares for you. Today we continue a series entitled Defining Moments. I'm going to ask the children if they will come up, and, and we're going to kind of go old school today. We're going to use a flannel graph to, to tell part of the story. And uh, so I'm going to ask the children if they'll come up and just sit here. Today is family worship. Now, there are a lot of defining moments in life. And kids, as you're coming, if you want to just kind of sit up here, you can come all, all the way up front if you want and sit there on the steps and smile at me. Don't make fun of me while I'm trying to preach. <laughs> you know, you can help me lead worship today just by your participation. I want to tell you a couple things. There are defining moments in our lives. There are a lot of defining moments. You know, the moment... You decide to go through high school. You decide to graduate high school. Some of you, that's a given. You know you're going to graduate. You're going to go all the way through high school. Uh, some of you will have to make a decision whether to go to college or not to go to the college, whether to join the workforce or not to join the workforce and, and go to college. And then you've got to decide what college I would go through. How many of you have older brothers or sisters who are making decisions like that right now or have made decisions like that? Yeah. It's tough, isn't it, trying to figure out, and it's important, isn't it? Why do you think it's important to decide on the right college or the right direction in life? Why do you think it's important? Yeah, it can help decide your future. And so we really need to find God's will in these things. It's important. It's a defining moment. And it was a defining moment for me. I, I felt God calling me into the ministry. And that same day that God called me into the ministry, I heard about Mount Vernon Nazarene College. I filled out an application that night and was accepted that week. I had other plans, but God changed my plans. It was a defining moment for me. Think about it. If I hadn't said yes to that defining moment, I would have never met Debbie, my wife. It was a defining moment for me, the decision to marry her. It was the right choice. And we've been married for 32 years, be 33 this May. Awesome. Just so much fun. And so there's these defining moments in life. But the most important moment in my life was that moment when I accepted Jesus Christ. That was a defining moment. Today, we're going to look at the story of some of the followers of Christ after the resurrection. They had an encounter with Jesus that was a defining moment for them. And uh, we're going to share that story with the congregation in just a few minutes. But there are a lot of defining moments that we have along the journey. And it kind of helps set the course when we're obedient to God. It helps set the course for living a holy life that God calls us to. Well, we believe in the resurrection. Um, We believe in the resurrection because, well, we believe in Jesus. And when you think about it, Jesus is the center of history. Before Christ, B.C., and after his death, A.D. Every day when you look at a calendar, we see this, don't we? You see, really, his birthday kind of announced to us over and over again. He's the central person in all of history. And we believe, as a church, in the resurrection of Christ. Now, I have a question for you. Who knows, in the New Testament, the first four books 
of the New Testament? Just raise your hand. All right. Pretty much all of you know that. Somebody tell me real quick. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Very good. Now, of those four, which two are disciples? Okay. Good. Matthew and John. Very good, Charlie. So we're going to talk about why we believe in the resurrection. We believe in the resurrection not just because it's in the Bible, but we believe in the resurrection because the Bible tells the stories of the followers of Christ, how they told the stories. And many of them were eyewitnesses to Christ after the resurrection. For instance, we had we have Matthew. Let's see if I can find the right guys here. Uh, Matthew it was a... Uh, first century tax collector and he walked with jesus he was one of the disciples of christ and uh, he learned from jesus he watched him perform many miracles and matthew saw christ crucified on a cross they saw his body put in a tomb he was dead and buried but matthew was also an eyewitness to jesus's resurrection then we have mark Now, Mark wasn't a disciple of Christ, but he was a follower of Christ. And he kind of hung around with, with the, with the, with the other followers of Christ. Matter of fact, uh, Mark, uh, went on missionary journeys with Paul and Barnabas and also Peter. And Peter, in fact, and Peter chapter 5, it says that Peter called, uh, Mark his brother. Now, he wasn't really his brother, he was just kind of like his brother. You know, brother and brother in the Lord, you know, and uh, and so he was really close. And Mark wrote stories. Matter of fact, he was the very first one that recorded the stories of Christ, the life, the teachings, the miracles of Christ. And 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 Mark told us about his life, his death, and his resurrection. Then we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke over here. Uh, Luke was a doctor. That guy kind of looks like a doctor, doesn't he? And, you know, doctors, they're really into statistics and numbers and data and research. And, and if you read the book of Luke, you'll find the very first chapter, Luke says, I've gathered all the information. I've done the research. I've, I've uh, brought the eyewitnesses in. I've done my investigation. And he tells us about the resurrection of Christ. So we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then, of course, we have one of the disciples, John. Uh, John was the beloved. Uh, he was the very first one at the tomb after the resurrection. He was faster than Peter. And so he gets to the tomb, and he sees the tomb was empty there. You remember that story? Yeah. Well, Mary was the first one, and she went back to get John. And John ran and was at the entrance of the tomb. And then he waited outside the entrance, and Peter came following him, and then went all the way in. To the tomb. So you're right. Mary was the very first one. Challenge the pastors whenever you can. <laughs> then we have Peter. Yeah, yeah, you can give him a can. That's all right. <laughs> then we have Peter. You know, Peter, he was a fisherman. He was also one of the disciples of Christ. And Peter witnessed the life and the teaching of Jesus Christ. He watched his life, his death. He knew that he was buried in a tomb. But he was a witness to the resurrection of Christ. And one of the reasons that we believe in the resurrection is because of these witnesses. Those who were in the first century who experienced 
Christ and could tell the stories of the resurrection. Then we have James. Now, James was a brother of Jesus. He was a half-brother. They both shared a mom. You know, Mary was their mom, right? And uh, and James, well, we, he doesn't even show up, and uh, we don't hear about him until later in the Scripture, because James really wasn't, didn't really believe that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the Messiah. You know, he would say, yeah, okay, he's doing miracles, but I don't understand that. I don't know why, why that's happening, but, I mean, he can't be Christ. He's my brother. We have the same mom. He can't be the son of God. And so he had questions and doubts. And so his own brother doubted the, the Messiahship of Jesus. Uh, he said, you know, I watched him grow up. I was there when he got his learner's, learner's permit. I mean, he's not, not Christ, not the Messiah. But after the resurrection, what was unexplainable was undeniable. And James, the brother of Jesus, well, Luke tells us. Remember Matthew, Mark, Luke over here? Luke writes Acts. In the book of Acts, it tells us about James, the brother of Jesus. Did you know that James became one of the leaders of the early church? And he wrote the book of James. And so while he did not believe that Jesus was the Christ in the beginning, he had his doubts because they were brothers. After all, what would it, convince, what would it take, Andy, for, for Charlie to convince you that he was the Christ? I mean, what, would ha- what would have to happen for you to accept that reality? Him stop being mean to me. <laughs> Him stop being mean to me. <laughs> well, yeah. That would be a miracle. <laughs> well, for James, for James to come to that, the resurrection. You see, what was unexplainable was undeniable to James. He knew that Christ had died. But the tomb was empty. And he was risen. And then, of course, we have Paul. Paul writes half of the New Testament. And Paul has this conversion experience on the road to Damascus, an encounter with Christ that changed him and forever changed the direction of his life. And one who was persecuting the Christians now spoke boldly about the resurrection. You see, we believe in the resurrection of Christ, not just because it's in the Bible, but because the Bible tells us the stories of those who were eyewitnesses to the account of the resurrection. You guys have your seat. Thank you. You've been great. Awesome. Now, as they're going down, I have a couple questions for you. Uh, A lot of times people will say, well, you know, the Bible was written decades, decades after Christ's life. Somebody answer for me, how long is a decade? Ten years. The kid's new. Ten years. That's right. So decades, 20 years. Uh, Let me ask you another question. Um, Who knows who wrote the song, Achy Breaky Heart? Somebody tell me. Billy Ray Cyrus, of course. Now, why do you know that? I mean, who knows that? Billy Ray Cyrus. Achy Breaky Heart. Did you know he wrote that song over 20 years ago? 
And you know who wrote it? Let me ask you another question. Who wrote black or white? Michael Jackson. That's right. Michael Jackson. Now, how do you know that? Well, it happened over 20 years ago. Well, the most important thing to ever happen in history, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us knows where we were when the towers fell. If we were alive, we remember where we were. I was at the Chrysler dealership waiting on a repair. Every one of us knows. Every one of us knows the intimate details of those moments in our lives, which were valleys or mountaintop experiences. Christ himself, the central figure of the universe, died. But he rose again. And we believe in the resurrection. And because we believe in the resurrection, we too shall rise. And we can have a relationship with the Father. Turn with me to John chapter 20. We'll begin reading at verse 19. John chapter 20. Begin reading at verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doctors, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Let's look at that again. On the evening of the first day of the week. It was that Sunday. It was that Easter Sunday. It was now evening. And the disciples had gathered together and the door was locked. For they were afraid for their own lives. They were afraid of the Jews. They were afraid that they would be put to death. After all, the Jews had already threatened to kill Lazarus because he had been raised from the dead. Typically, when a leader would fall, usually the next to fall would be his followers. And it was commonplace that the victor would kill the followers of a leader. The disciples knew this, and so they were behind closed doors, hiding, but the doors locked behind them. History is full of precedents for this. Even in our modern day era, we see the guillotines that lopped off the heads of those who were on the sides of the monarchies in the French Revolution. Or the regime of Pol Pot in Cambodia when they murdered millions who were opposed to the establishment of communism at the time. So these men and women, they were hiding behind closed doors. The the doors were locked because they were afraid. I see them in this room gathering there, discussing what had happened already on that day. Do you think it's true what the women are saying? You see, several of the women had an encounter with Jesus. They they threw their, their arms around the feet of Jesus and they worshipped him, the scripture tells us. They would have been asking that question. They were afraid for themselves, but excited about the possibility. Do you think it could possibly be true? And then Mary Magdalene interjects into the conversation. And she shares about how she saw two angels seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and the other at the foot. 
And incidentally, this is a beautiful picture of the mercy seat. How many of you have seen pictures? How many of you children have seen pictures of the Ark of the Covenant? Just raise your hand. All right, all over the place. Ark of the Covenant. Now, what's in the Ark of the Covenant? Somebody tell me. Stuff. (laughs) Anybody know more than stuff? (laughs) The Ten Commandments. Good, good. Manna. Um, So there was some stuff there in the Ark of the Covenant. On the Ark of the Covenant, there's a cover over top of it. It's called the mercy seat. It's the lid on the Ark of the Covenant. And there are two angels on the Ark of the Covenant over this cover with outstretched arms. And so this is a beautiful picture that Mary saw, Mary Magdalene saw, on that resurrection Sunday. One angel sitting on the foot and the other sitting at the head. She tells about her encounter with these angels. And then she retells the story about how she was outside of the tomb. And she heard a voice and she thought it was a gardener. And she asked the question, where have you hidden him? Where, if you've taken his body... Please tell me where you have put him so we can retrieve his body. Then Jesus spoke her name, Mary. When he spoke the name Mary, she immediately knew that this was the Lord. She threw her arms around him and grasped him. So she's sharing her story with those in that room who are locked behind closed doors. I imagine there was fear and excitement. In that room that evening. Of course there was Cleophas. And the traveling companion. Who met Jesus on the Emmaus road. They would have told their story as well. And so these followers of Christ. Would have been gathered in this room. Talking about all that they had heard on that day. Do you think it's true? Is it possible? Is he alive? Afraid for their own lives. And yet excited about the possibility. And while they are talking about these things. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Now, he said, Peace be with you because he just showed up. The doors were locked and Jesus just showed up. They must have been scared to death. They would have been comforted and yet fearful. I can't imagine what they must have felt. But Jesus' immediate response was, peace. It's okay. Hey, it's all right. It's all right. It's me. It's me. And then he says, look at my hands. Look at my side. He knew that they would be fearful. And he tries to comfort them. And then we see the disciples overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I imagine their fear had had turned to elation. The room must have been ecstatic. Have you ever had an experience where the, the hairs have raised up on your arms? Just such goosebumps. Or it's, any of you children had an experience like that? You ever been scared where it's like, ah, your hair goes like this? That's static electricity, actually. But we all, we've all had that. I imagine in that room there was this fear, this excitement. The Scripture says the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. 
I imagine at that point, after Jesus said, peace be with you, showed his hands and his side, and then said, I'm here. They probably began to just fist bump one another and pound, you know, chest pounds and hugging one another and high-fiving one another. I, I imagine the scene was pretty phenomenal. I imagine the, the volume in the room went from absolute silence to an eruption of excitement. Again, Jesus says, peace be with you. I see this peace be with you as if he was bringing the room back down, quieting the crowd, those that had gathered there that day. Peace be with you. So in this room, we see this roller coaster of fear, excitement. And Jesus says, peace be with you, shows them his hands and his feet. They get excited and they're overjoyed. And again, he says, listen, are you listening? Listen. As the Father has sent me, he's giving them a charge. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. You see, there's a reason that Jesus showed up on that evening. It was not only to proclaim the resurrection, but it was also to give those in that room their mission. To call them, to commission them for the work that God was calling you to do and me to do. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. You see, Jesus is the model for our going. As Jesus depends on the Father, so should we. As Jesus came to seek and save the lost, so should we. As Jesus came to be light in the darkness, our lives should be light in the darkness. We should be a reflection of Christ. I got a Facebook post this past week from a pastor friend of mine. His name is Greg Clark. Greg is one of those guys I just like. Every time I'm around him, he encourages me. He's kind of an intellectual giant. Um, it's just somebody I, I gravitate to, and he just encourages me in a lot of ways. And here's his post, and it resonated with me. It says, I choose to live in an alternative lifestyle. I choose to live an alternative lifestyle. I fell in love, married, had children, raised my kids to love the Lord. I'm still married and in love 29 years. And I believe in the Bible. I believe it's God's holy word. You may judge, you want to judge me. So to that I say, go ahead and look at the evidence. If that convicts me, I say, oh well. You see, we're called to be light. In the darkness. We're called to live our lives in such a way that we become a reflection of the glory of God. We're called to be a people who are allowing His Holy Spirit to transform us into His image. We're called to be a people who allow the Lord to mold the clay 
He is the potter. We are the clay. We are called for a purpose. Jesus says to his disciples in that room, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Then he says this. And with that, he breathed on them. He breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is a prelude of what would come at Pentecost for the church, for the followers of Christ. But Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit. You see, he does not call us to be agents of his grace and leave us alone. He equips us. He empowers us. You might say, how can I live such a holy life? You can't in your own strength. But as you surrender your will to the Lord, to the potter, he will help you extend his grace, his mercy, and his peace to our world. We're called to that. Have you received the Holy Spirit? The Spirit is given to continue Jesus' presence in the world through us. The Spirit is given to continue Jesus' presence in the world through us. Then verse 23 says, If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. You might read that scripture and say, What in the world does that mean? We can't forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. But what he's saying here is very simple. Unless you take this charge, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The grace and the mercy of God will not be extended to the world around you. And we are to be his agents of grace to our world. We are to be a reflection of his love and his mercy and his justice to our world. Not just on Sunday, but every day. We are to reflect the image of Christ This past week, um, on Friday, I went to the nursing home to be with Mark Brown. and I announced earlier that, um, I don't know if I made the announcement in this service, but uh, we're going to have a funeral service for him, the, probably have visitation here on Tuesday, and then, view, and then the funeral on Wednesday. The details are yet to be announced, and we'll get those out as soon as we have those. But I went to the nursing home to be with Mark and Susie, and his boys were there, and daughter, and and, um, you know, you never really know what to say as a pastor to people in these difficult hours. Sometimes the less said is the better. But Mark is a pastor, and pastors like to talk about their sermons. And so I said, Mark, you know what I'm going to preach on Sunday? He said, no, what are you going to preach on? And we'd had, we had laughed a little bit. and I said, I'm going to preach about... Christ's encounter with his followers in the upper room after the resurrection. Mark, in just a few hours, 
you're going to meet our Lord. And as there was excitement and elation there that day in, the, or in that room, the high fives and the fist pounds and the hugs, Mark, in a few hours, you're going to hear his voice. Mark, well done, good and faithful servant. You see, the scripture says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. We believe in the resurrection. And Christ offers to us new life, a fresh start, a new beginning. The Savior offers to you peace. Peace in the midst of your troubles of life. Many of you feel like you do not deserve His peace. Many may feel like you do not deserve His grace. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the things that I've said. You don't know the people that I've hurt. And and you know what? You're right. You don't deserve His mercy, His grace, and His peace. But that's why He died on the cross for you and for me. To reach out His arms, to extend His grace and His mercy and His peace to mankind. And He knows your name. Why continue to run from the Savior when He offers you His peace? Why live under a cloud when He invites you into the light? Why walk in darkness when He has opened heaven's gates for you? Will you choose to follow the Savior? The sin is paid for. The debt has been washed away. His peace is available to you. Do you know His peace? Do you know His peace? You see, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. And one of the reasons that I know this Savior is because He's in my heart. And we're going to sing that song. Pastor Edgar is going to come and lead us in that song. Do you know my Savior? He extends peace to you. It may be that you're just going through a difficult time and and you need him to whisper his peace in the midst of the storms of your life today. He does that, you know. He just kind of shows up. This past week I was struggling with some stuff. In a place unexpected, the Holy Spirit just bathed me in His presence. And His peace was there. His peace is available to you. Do you know my Savior? Have you asked Him into your heart and life? If you haven't, you can today. What a great day. As we acknowledge the reality of the resurrection. To say... Lord, I want that defining moment where I say yes to you. And whatever you want, Lord, that's what I want. And you start to follow one day at a time, one step at a time. Let's stand and sing this song together. If the Lord has spoken to you today, the altars are open. We encourage you to come.